Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. They Walk Among Us is part of the Acast Creator Network. At the start of 2003... Three men were to stand trial for the murder of Arlene Fraser, her estranged husband Nat Fraser, along with Nat's friends Hector Dick and Glenn Lucas. Arlene's body had not been found, nor had any forensic evidence to show she had been harmed on the day of her disappearance. The trial opened at Edinburgh High Court on January 7th. On Tuesday the 28th of April, Arlene Fraser, still in her night clothes, waved her children off to school at their Smith Street home in New Algon. Arlene's disappearance generated headlines across the UK and any trial is likely to be just as high profile. I think it will be quite huge. I think it will attract a great deal of attention. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 55 of They Walk Among Us a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. Please listen to Season 7, Episodes 53 and 54 for Parts 1 and 2 of this three-part case. During opening statements... Alan Turnbull QC detailed the events surrounding the morning Arlene Fraser vanished. The advocate deputy told the court that Nat Fraser, Hector Dick and Glenn Lucas had conspired to murder Arlene and dispose of her body. Turnbull suggested that Arlene's remains were destroyed or hidden somewhere in Scotland. Among the first witnesses to testify was Lone Lennon, the solicitor who planned to meet Arlene on the day she disappeared. Lone described Arlene as a loving mother to Jamie and Natalie. Alan Turnbull QC asked, Could you contemplate her putting the children off to school one morning and simply walking out on their lives without making any arrangements for their future care? No, the witness responded. 
Michelle Scott, one of Arlene's close friends, described Arlene as a safety-conscious woman. Arlene had an alarm fitted in the house and always locked her front door. Michelle explained that she found it odd when she arrived at Arlene's home on April 28, 1998, and the door was unlocked. Michelle testified, I went through to the living room to see if she was there and tried the bathroom, bedroom and looked out to the garden. In the bathroom, her clothes were hanging over the edge of the bath. Seeking to understand more about Arlene's life during that time and if her husband knew where she was, her mother took the stand next. Isabel stated, I asked him if he had done any deals or done anything to Arlene and he said, what would be the point? I said, well, you could have your business, your children, your house. And he said, I wouldn't have Arlene. I said you wouldn't have her anyway. She was divorcing you. Isabel described how as each day passed, she became increasingly worried about her daughter, but Nat Fraser did not appear bothered. It was argued by the prosecution that he had colluded with his friend Hector Dick who sought to obtain a cheap second-hand car that could be used to abduct Arlene and transport her to the murder site. A local mechanic purchased a beige Ford Fiesta on Hector's behalf the day before Arlene disappeared. The individual in question, Kevin Ritchie, testified that he found it strange that Hector wanted another car because he already had one in perfect working order. The focus would then shift to Arlene's rings. They had mysteriously reappeared in the home around a week and a half after she disappeared. Arlene's stepmother, Catherine, said, We searched all the rooms, the attic, everything, under the bed, everywhere. In fact, the police had videotaped the scene on the morning of April 29th and the rings were not present. The advocate deputy suggested that Nat Fraser had snuck in and placed them there to shift the focus away from himself and give the impression Arlene had left to be with another man. It was argued that Nat had sought to ensure he had an alibi on the morning of Arlene's disappearance, arranging a call with Hazel Walker, someone he had met while performing with his band. Nat told Hazel he would call her around ten to nine, the first time he had ever pre-arranged contact. The conversation lasted around 35 minutes. Nat explained that he was calling from a phone box in Elgin in between making deliveries. Hazel testified, We didn't really speak about anything. I noticed his voice sounded a lot happier. She said that this was the last time she ever spoke with Nat, and that he never called her again. That morning, Nat was working with a young colleague, Grant Fraser, who worked for the fruit and vegetable delivery business. Grant said they spent time packing the lorry and left to begin their route at 7.41am. Nat was never out of his sight, even when he was making the phone call. Their shift finished around 6pm. After Grant Fraser's testimony, this is where the trial took a sensational twist when charges against Hector Dick and Glenn Lucas were dropped. The prosecution announced to a shocked courtroom that they instead planned on calling Hector as a witness to testify against his friend. The judge explained to the jury, It is not part of our procedure for the Crown to explain in open court why certain decisions are taken. It is their decision, and the court must accept it. It would be quite wrong of you to speculate why this decision has been taken. 
the trial will continue. And all I have said about the presumption of innocence as something Mr. Fraser enjoys, and the burden of proof, remains the position. I must counsel you to keep an open mind about the issues that remain in this trial. It is far too early to form any view, even a provisional view, about the evidence. When the trial resumed, Hector Dick was called as a prosecution witness. He told the jury how, in March 1998, after Nat and Arlene Fraser separated, Nat showed up at his farm. Hector claimed that Nat began discussing how 10,000 people go missing worldwide each year without ever being traced. There were even people that disappeared and no questions were ever asked about them. According to Hector, he was unsure of where the conversation was going, but Nat explained he had previously raised the topic with other people but had not trusted them. Still puzzled, Hector recounted how Nat began to be more specific telling him he had read about two cases in Scottish legal history when people were convicted of murder without a body. It then became clear what Nat Fraser was trying to say. Hector testified that Nat often spoke of his jealousy and fears that Arlene would begin dating a new man who would take away his children. I recall him telling me he didn't consider she was a good mother and that she was lazy and lay in bed a lot, the witness said. He was telling me she didn't do much cooking. It was he who was doing the cooking when he came home. Nat also complained about money and voiced his worries about how much Arlene could obtain if the divorce went ahead. Hector told the jury that Nat was determined to quote, gain financial advantage to offset the cost, and that included offering to sell Hector his whiskey collection with a buyback clause. Hector admitted that when he first spoke with the police, he had lied. He now said that it was Nat who had been the one who wanted to buy a car, which was purchased the night before Arlene vanished. A beige Ford Fiesta was obtained and driven to Hector's farmhouse. A set of keys were left in the ignition. Hector claimed that in the morning, it was gone. Realising what might have happened, Hector testified that he became worried when he learned that Arlene had vanished. His fears escalated further when he thought back to the earlier conversations he'd had with Nat. Two days later, Hector saw Nat again, and Nat whispered to him that the car would be coming back. Hector said, I asked him what was happening, and he indicated with his hands, just silence. Three days would pass, and the Ford Fiesta reappeared at the farmhouse. There was a bundle of children's clothing in the back seat, as well as a woman's coat, similar to one Arlene had worn. Hector contended that he was worried the car had been used in Arlene's disappearance, so at first he burned it, before flattening the vehicle with a digger and transporting the crushed remains to a scrapyard. It was then Hector Dick made a startling claim. He alleged that Nat had told him he had paid a hitman £15,000 to kill Arlene. Hector said that this unnamed individual strangled her to death and then hid Arlene's body for two weeks before burning the remains and grinding down the bones and teeth. Hector staunchly denied that he was involved in this aspect of the crime. When questioned about the suicide attempt he had made in jail, it was postulated this made him look as if he had been the one to kill Arlene, not some mysterious hitman, 
However, Hector said he only sought to end his life because of questioning by the police. He claimed that he was threatened by officers. He warned him that his family faced financial ruin because customs and excise officials were ready to move in on his bootlegging alcohol scheme. Hector stated, I was tired of it all. I thought if I was out of the way, my wife and family would be left alone. Defence counsel for Nat Fraser, Paul McBride QC, disputed this. It wasn't a cry for help, was it? He said. This was a deliberate attempt to end your life. Another reason why someone might try to kill themselves is remorse or regret at what they themselves have done. People who, for example, kill other people or commit crimes of such a serious nature might be so depressed that they kill themselves. Hector maintained he had nothing to do with Arlene's murder, but McBride accused him of being a serial liar. He said, You are a cold and calculating man, and you are a clever man, aren't you? You think nothing about lying morning, noon and night. You think nothing about making up stories morning, noon and night. And you think nothing about obfuscating the truth morning, noon and night. Paul McBride QC suggested that Hector Dick not only refused to cooperate with the investigation when he was asked about the Ford Fiesta, but had also fabricated information to throw them off his scent. Concerning the fact that Hector was seen by Arlene outside her home the week before she disappeared, the barrister argued this was a reconnaissance mission and that Hector was in fact the hitman. Hector denied this was the case, claiming he was there to deliver a crate of bootleg vodka, but left when there was no reply. It was pointed out that this was at odds with the comments made by Arlene's sister Carol, who said Arlene had complained that Hector was hanging around outside her home, and she did not know why. In the second week of the trial, Nat Fraser took the stand to profess his innocence. At the start of his evidence... His counsel, Paul McBride QC, asked, Did you kill your wife? No, sir, Nat replied. He also denied arranging for anyone else to kill her or being involved in her disappearance. Nat admitted that the marriage was turbulent at times, but said that he still wanted her back after their breakup in March 1998. He said, I just thought it was another fallout. I hoped it would blow over again. Nat went on to dismiss Hector Dick's testimony that he hired a hitman as rubbish and lies and rejected any suggestion that he wanted to purchase the Ford Fiesta allegedly used in the murder. McBride asked, When came the time you thought Arlene might not be coming back? When I gave up hope, Nat replied, Monday, after Mr. Dick's evidence. The defendant was asked whether he believed Hector had anything to do with Arlene's disappearance. He simply replied, I don't know. After Nat Fraser's testimony, Another surprising development would unfold when Alan Turnbull QC announced to the court that the prosecution were dropping the charges of attempting to defeat the ends of justice. This meant that the only charge Nat Fraser was now facing related to the murder of Arlene Fraser, which it was argued Nat had ordered when he employed a hitman whose identity was unknown. During closing remarks, Alan Turnbull QC argued that an overwhelming weight of circumstantial evidence pointed to Nat Fraser's guilt. 
Turnbull described how Nat had ensnared himself by returning Arlene's rings to the home on Smith Street after she disappeared. Quote, These are the rings he gave to his young wife and the mother of his children. How ironic these tokens of love, permanence and fidelity should end up being his undoing. They are the undoing of a husband consumed by jealousy and greed. These rings tell us that as eloquently and poignantly as a witness who tells us he saw Nat Fraser kill Arlene. The advocate deputy then went on to say, There is something inherently just in the way that after death something of Arlene's can reach back and ensnare the man who promised he would live with her forever, then took her life just because she no longer suited his purpose. Turnbull appealed to the jury to find Nat Fraser guilty, telling them, Do not let the awfulness of this crime overwhelm you into thinking he could not do that. Do not let his ordinariness cloak him and protect him. Because the evidence in this case tells us one thing more clearly than anything else. It tells us that he is a murderer. Paul McBride QC countered this argument and condemned Hector Dick as a perjurer and a pathological liar. The defence counsel stated, Never has a man stood in a witness box at the High Court and told as many lies as he has, and a prosecutor has asked a jury to believe him. His first words to the police many years ago were lies, and his final breath in this court was perjury. McBride told the jury that the prosecution were relying on a man who had been let off of a murder charge, someone who had been sent to prison for attempting to defeat the ends of justice in relation to this very case. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike, preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. 
the jury was sent off to deliberate the murder charge. And on the afternoon of Wednesday, January 29th, 2003, they returned with a verdict. Good evening. He posed as a loving husband and a caring father, but tonight, Nat Fraser is facing 25 years behind bars for murdering his wife. The jury convicted him without knowing that he'd already strangled her, attempted to strangle her weeks before she disappeared. It was standing room only, but completely silent in the court as the jury returned with their verdict. Then, as the foreman read out the word guilty, there were cries of yes and loud cheers. Mr Fraser then appeared to collapse in the dock, and the only sound that could be heard were the sobs of Arlene's family. Arlene's loved ones found some comfort in the verdict but it was a bittersweet moment due to the absence of her body. Without her remains, they could not properly start the grieving process and were resolute in their quest to find her once and for all. Um, I actually feel um, overwhelmed with sadness because it's a, a realisation of what has actually happened. The decision of the jury will not bring Arlene back. Back to her children, to her family, to her many friends. But today, after nearly five long and painful years, justice has at last been done. Between all the court dates, legal proceedings and damage to his reputation, Nat Fraser was no longer associated with the fruit and veg business. To support himself, he had to take on less lucrative positions, at one point working in his sister's cafe. Following the murder trial, she had the unenviable task of breaking the news to her niece and nephew. Lynn, who was an unshaken advocate for her brother's innocence, said... How do you tell a child their father won't be coming home for a very long time? How do you tell a child their father has been found guilty of doing all those terrible things to their mother? The Fraser children seem to be the ones who suffered the most upheaval, losing their mother and father and being wedged between two families who had conflicting views about what happened. One thing both parties seemed to agree on was that they were willing to support the children and wanted the best for them in this undeniably difficult situation. It was clear that the turmoil and stress of the last few years had caused immeasurable heartache for Arlene's family. Although there was no certainty as to what had happened or where she was, in April 2003 a memorial service in Elgin was organised to not only bid farewell, but to honour the life of Arlene Fraser. Her family released a joint statement. The service is our chance to celebrate Arlene's life. We understand there are many people, particularly in Elgin, who would also want to pay their respects. Arlene had many friends who cared deeply about her. Even people who have never met her have been touched by her tragic story. We will always remember Arlene as an outgoing, loving and caring mother, daughter, sister and friend. And more than anything... We want this service to focus on the happier times in her life. It was subsequently announced that Arlene's father Hector had decided to stop his pursuit for custody of his daughter's two children. Natalie and Jamie were settled in Elgin with their paternal grandparents. After visiting them, Hector decided it wasn't in their best interest to uproot them. He said, They have told us they are happy, and I am satisfied enough to leave them there. They have friends up there. It is better if they stay put. In May 2003, 
Nat Fraser announced he was going to launch an appeal against his murder conviction on the grounds he had an unfair trial. Under Scottish law, a jury should not know of the accused's past or any previous convictions. According to his defence team, however, when the details of Nat strangling Arlene became public knowledge as the trial played out, one of the jurors turned to another and whispered, See, I told you. Furthermore, in December, David Alexander, a former constable with Grampian Police, told a sheriff at a specially convened court hearing that the three rings that mysteriously appeared in the bathroom at Arlene's home after she disappeared had been moved by the police. This was a key piece of evidence that led to Nat Fraser's conviction when it was argued he had returned them. Arlene's father Hector countered this and claimed the allegations had come from a close friend of Nat's. As the appeal was making its way through the courts, Glenn Lucas published a book titled Murdered or Missing, the Arlene Fraser case. But this was far from the final word, as yet more revelations were unearthed. In August, new evidence emerged which cast doubt on Hector Dick's testimony. He told the court that he had taken the Fort Fiesta and some steel to a scrapyard after Arlene disappeared. However, the scrapyard owner, Douglas Williamson, had come forward to say that the car was never brought to his yard and the steel was returned two years before Arlene went missing. In addition, the lip-reading evidence was said to suggest Nat Fraser and Glenn Lucas had spoken about the destruction of Arlene's remains was brought into question. An investigation by BBC Frontline Scotland asked several lip-reading experts to cross-check the report produced by Jessica Rees against what could be seen on the tape. Rees stood by her results but according to other experts, the two did not marry up. It would be discovered that she had misled prosecutors about her qualifications, and subsequently the Crown Prosecution Service no longer wished to work with her. Rampian police were initially convinced that this evidence proved that Nat Fraser and Glenn Lucas played a part in Arlene's murder. However, the prosecution decided not to submit the details in court and the charges against Glenn Lucas were dropped. On May 18, 2004, Nat Fraser was given a short reprieve from Schott's prison for the day under supervision and wearing handcuffs. Sadly, his father, Nathaniel Fraser, had passed away at home. With his passing, Ibby Fraser was left with sole custody of Jamie and Natalie. For the service, Nat was accompanied to Watson Chapel in his hometown of Elgin before being returned to Schott's prison. Several years would pass, and more and more questions were being asked about the reliability of the evidence and the integrity of the investigation. In March 2006, an inquiry was launched into the conduct of Grampian Police after material relating to the murder of Arlene Fraser was not disclosed. It had been discovered that what David Alexander said might have been true that the rings were in the house before they were moved. Police officer Neil Lynch provided a statement in which he said he had seen the rings in the bathroom on the night Arlene had disappeared. A further account was provided by a second police officer, Julie Clark, who felt unable to speak up after she also saw the rings that same night. This information was either not passed up the chain of command or suppressed. 
the Crown and Defence team fought the case, unaware of the controversy. Once senior police officials and the prosecution learned of this development, an investigation was ordered. It was concluded that there was not a cover-up, just extreme incompetence. This revelation led to Nat Fraser walking free from jail, pending the outcome of his appeal in May 2006. The decision left Arlene's family stunned, and her father could not understand how Nat could so easily be released. We have been been given a life sentence with no chance of appeal, unlike Mr Fraser. Now you'll be happy to be there. His first taste of freedom in three years. Nat Fraser leaves Schultz Prison this afternoon after collecting his belongings. He was accompanied by Glenn Lucas, one of the men who was originally charged alongside him for being involved in his wife's murder. I'm delighted that he's out. It vindicated me and vindicates him. The police lied from the very beginning and tried to stitch me up and obviously stitched up Nat at the same time. Grampian police, I would think, would definitely be put down in the annals as a bad day in the office today. In September of that year, Glenn Lucas, who was initially charged with conspiring to murder Arlene Fraser before the charges were dropped, was found dead at his home in Lincolnshire. The 54-year-old had suffered a fatal heart attack. He had spoken of his frustration at being arrested and charged based on the credibility of a single lip-reading expert. His wife was forced to move back to her native Russia while the prosecution played out, unsure if she would ever see her husband again. Although Glenn Lucas's book had become a success, he did not have the chance to revel in its triumph for long. Nat Fraser's appeal was heard in November 2007, and his counsel Peter Gray spoke about the controversy surrounding the rings. He said... That information has the potential to fundamentally undermine what had become the cornerstone of the Crown's case. A handful of officers were aware of what had happened, and they testified that they were ordered to keep silent by their colleagues. Advocate Deputy John Beckett QC admitted that it was regrettable the jury never heard evidence that the rings were seen in the home that night Arlene disappeared, but he insisted that despite this, there was plenty of evidence to show that Nat killed his wife. It was decided that Nat Fraser should return to prison pending the outcome of the appeal. Despite information about the rings being withheld, the appeal judges Lord Gill, the Lord Justice Clerk and Lords Osborne and Johnston concluded that based on the circumstantial evidence that remained in the case, Nat Fraser was involved. His appeal was denied in May 2008. The proposed evidence is therefore not inconsistent with the key finding that the appellant put the rings back in the house on 7th May. The verdict cannot be regarded as a miscarriage of justice. The circumstantial evidence alone constituted a compelling case against the appellant. Following the decision, Arlene's father Hector McInnes spoke with the media about how he felt. We're pleased with the outcome. It's taken 10 years of our life. Unfortunately, we haven't found out about Arlene, but uh, Mr Fraser is back where he deserves to be. 2009 saw Nat Fraser submit two more appeals, but both were unsuccessful. The following year, he took his case to the Scottish Supreme Court, much to the surprise of Arlene's loved ones. Uh, Today, we certainly hope that the case will go in our favour, as 
as the previous ones have, but you can never tell. Um, I don't think you should be allowed to make as many appeals as he likes, but I suppose being in prison for 25 years, he's got nothing else to do. But it is rather an inconvenience to the Crown and to Arlene's family. Nat's counsel argued evidence had been tampered with, and it was clear that both the prosecution and defence did not have all the facts. In May 2011, five Supreme Court judges reviewed the evidence, and the conviction was overturned as it was concluded Nat Fraser did not receive a fair trial. But fairness lies at the heart of our system of criminal justice, and it is that principle that has made the decision which we have to taken, taken today inevitable. Nat was a free man. But prosecutors announced their intention to initiate fresh legal proceedings. The decision by the Supreme Court did not sit well with Arlene's family, who likened the impact to being struck by a bus. In August, Nat Fraser was once again charged with Arlene's murder, and a new trial before Judge Lord Brackerdale began in April 2012. Similar evidence to the first trial was presented once more, although the new jury of eight women and seven men were told there had been a previous trial and an appeal. As the case had garnered so much attention, it would have been impossible to find 15 jurors who were unaware of the events, so it was agreed that a succinct retelling could be provided. Nat Fraser's counsel submitted two special defences on their client's behalf, of alibi and incrimination. Nat had an alibi that was corroborated by his co-worker. The incrimination defence stated that if a murder was committed, it was not committed by Nat. It was argued that Hector Dick was responsible, while, quote, acting with another or others meantime unknown. Jurors were told that Arlene disappeared with nothing that could support her financially or enable her to travel abroad, such as bank cards or a passport. That said, there was nothing in the home that suggested any signs of disturbance, or evidence that attempts had been made to thoroughly clean the property. Again testifying about Nat Fraser's behaviour, Arlene's mother suggested Nat was uncaring and even joked about his wife's disappearance. Police officers who worked the case suggested that any emotion that the defendant was showing appeared to be faked, and Nat seemed unwilling to help with the search. The challenges in the Fraser's marriage were highlighted, along with evidence that Arlene planned on divorcing Nat after speaking with a solicitor. Also, Hector Dick again testified that Nat Fraser told him that Arlene was dead, a hitman had been employed, and her remains had been destroyed. Addressing the court, Hector said of his conversations with Nat. His favourite topic was that she would never be found. He said that the body had been burned and there would be no DNA or anything like that. In closing, Advocate Deputy Alex Prentice QC argued that Nat Fraser was possessive and controlling unable to accept that his wife was going to leave him. Quote, These thoughts festered in his head and gnawed at him to such an extent that he organised the murder of his wife. On the evidence, there is only one person in the world who has a motive to kill Arlene Fraser. Fourteen years had passed since Arlene Fraser was last seen. For a second time, 
The jury would decide if Nat Fraser was guilty of her murder. After a six-week trial and five hours of deliberation, a majority verdict was reached. Nat wiped his brow in a state of disbelief. He was found guilty. It was believed he had colluded with parties unknown to have his wife killed. Addressing the defendant, Judge Lord Brackerdale said, You instigated in cold blood the premeditated murder of your wife and mother of your children, then aged ten and five years. The murder and disposal of the body must have been carried out with ruthless efficiency, for there is not a trace of Arlene Fraser from that day to this, and her bereft family continue to live with no satisfactory knowledge of what happened to her remains. Nat Fraser was ordered to serve a minimum of 17 years in prison. At her press conference, Arlene's sister Carol spoke about how hard it was every time she heard that a body had been discovered. She often thought, maybe it's Arlene, but now she believes that Arlene's remains are never going to be found. Providing her thoughts on the man who was convicted of Arlene's murder, Carol remarked, I have to accept that Nat Fraser is never going to tell us the truth. I have been under the impression Nat had a human side to him in that he can see our suffering. He can see the pain we are in. I always thought one day, but it's not going to happen. He's on his own now. From this day forward, um, as far as I'm concerned, Nat Fraser can take the information that he has in his head back to the cell. Um, I don't want to know any more because it's too much. It's just too much. So where are we now? To this day, Arlene Fraser's body has never been found, and public opinion on Nat Fraser remains divided. For some, Nat is the victim of a grave miscarriage of justice, an innocent man convicted of a heinous crime. Others, including two juries, are convinced that he played a role in Arlene's murder, if not by his own hand, then by ordering somebody else to do it. Despite an exhaustive investigation and Nat's conviction, many feel that true justice has not been served and that the person to physically kill Arlene has yet to face the consequences of their actions. Only the people responsible for her murder know what happened, and they are not talking. Hector Dick, Nat's former best friend, continued to divulge tidbits of information to the local press, claiming in 2003 that Nat had been involved in a pornographic videotape while he was still married to Arlene. Hector relayed that numerous locals had been shown it by a boastful Nat before his estranged wife disappeared. Hector said, Nat had the video in the house. It showed him in the bath with a woman and then in bed with three or four women. He told me the tape was in his house when the police searched it after Arlene disappeared, but they never picked up on it. If only they had realised what was on it. Again, like almost all of the factors throughout this case, a single person's claims cannot be substantiated. In April 2018, Arlene's family came together in Elgin to mark the two decades since she was last seen alive. As the years pass, it becomes increasingly unlikely Arlene's family will ever know what happened to her. 
The father has come to reluctantly accept that he will probably never find out what happened to his daughter in his lifetime. The gathering in Elgin was attended by Natalie Fraser, a mother to a boy who was the same age as Natalie when her mother went missing. It highlighted the fact the cycle of grief continues until Arlene's loved ones learn exactly what happened, a truth they undoubtedly deserve. Thank you for listening, and special thanks to our patrons for supporting the podcast. To hear ad-free versions of our episodes published several days before their general release, subscribe to They Walk Among Us Plus. Head to patreon.com forward slash They Walk Among Us, or search for They Walk Among Us on Apple Podcasts to find out more. For more information on this episode, please see the show notes or visit our website, they walk among us podcast.com. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast, The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.